Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come now to this time of opening up Your Word and worshiping You, Lord, today by heeding Your Word and heeding Your commands to us today, Lord, I pray that Christ would be ever exalted and that we would humble our hearts under the authority of Christ, under the authority of Your Word, And Lord, that we would be transformed by Your Word and our focus in life would be to be more like Christ. All of this is to Your glory. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 12 and 13 this morning. I do want to wish all you mothers a happy Mother's Day and uh, thank you for all that you have done in your families. Uh, Be sure to love on your mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers. If you can, be with them today as we will not have service tonight, so you've got all day to spend with Mama. All right, so spend time with your mother. If you can't be with her, then call her up on the phone and tell her how much you love her and how much you appreciate all that she has sacrificed for you in your lifetime because mothers sacrifice a lot for their kiddos. So love your mothers today. Today we are looking in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. Discovering joy, rejoice in sanctification. So if you would, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of His holy, inspired, and inerrant word, and may He write its eternal truth on all our hearts. You may be seated. As we look at this text this morning, and we we focus on that discovering joy, we're finding out how we can have true, lasting joy, as that is Paul's focus throughout this letter. He, He refers to joy and rejoicing multiple times through this letter, and so he wants the church that he is writing to, he wants us to understand how to have true, lasting joy, not just fleeting happiness that we might find in the small pleasures of this world, but true, lasting, everlasting joy. That's his focus. And so today we're looking at rejoice in sanctification. Now we look at our text and, and we see this strange little phrase there, work out your own salvation. Now, what in the world does that mean? We know that other places, Paul says, that it's not about you working it out, right? Uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's not your own work. 
Right? It's God's work, not your work. But then he comes here and says, work out your own salvation. Is Paul contradicting himself? Is he saying two different things? Well, of course he's not. We have to understand the context in which he is speaking and what exactly he is talking about. And what he's talking about here is sanctification, the doctrine of sanctification, which is just plainly, it's that doctrine where we're talking about becoming like Christ in personal holiness. Becoming like Christ in personal holiness. And we're going to talk about more of that later, but that's his focus. And so he wants us to rejoice in sanctification, our sanctification and our becoming more like Christ in our own personal holiness. So today, the sermon in a sentence is this. Christian, rejoice in God's sanctifying work by working to be sanctified. Get that? Christian, rejoice in God's sanctifying work by working to be sanctified. It's this great dynamic. As God is working in us, He calls us to work right along with Him. And so we're going to see how that works out then this morning as we consider this text. First of all, we have the, the main command here from Paul, his main exhortation in this little paragraph here, one sentence, one long sentence paragraph here, but the main exhor exhortation here is work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, that word work, that is the command, the imperative, the, the word of command that he is telling. So he's, he's not making a suggestion here. He's not just stating a fact, but he is telling us. He's giving a command. This is something that you need to do. You need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by that, to work out your own salvation? Well, as we consider that, the first thing we need to consider is the process of salvation. The process of of salvation. Salvation is a, a process as we see it in Scripture. In fact, Scripture talks about salvation in, in the three tenses. Scripture talks about salvation in the, the past tense, the present tense, and the future tense. All right? The past tense, present tense, and the future tense. And so just think about the tenses of salvation and what they mean to understand what he is talking about when he talks about work out your own salvation. First, consider past tense, past tense salvation. This would be the doctrine that we call justification. Justification, that's that doctrine where we say that when we come to faith in Christ, God declares us to be sanctified. He declares us to be righteous and holy in his sight if you have your bibles you can turn with me to romans chapter chapter 3 flip over there romans chapter 3 i want to read verses 20 through 25 romans chapter 3 verses 20 through 25 just as you're going there th think about this is what we're talking about in ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 uh, for by grace you have been saved. That's that past tense. It happened in the past. It has a continual result. 
But it happened in the past. You have been saved. Not you are being saved, but you have been saved. That's the kind of salvation we're looking at when we talk about justification. It's something that happened in the past but has a continuous result or a continual result. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 reads, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So there we're talking about that justification. You, you can't be justified by God by works, by works of the law. He, he says that plainly. In other words, we cannot earn our salvation because all that we do that we might try to earn our salvation, we still have the penalty of our disobedience to, towards God. We still have the penalty of our rebellion against God hanging over our heads. God is a just God, and He must demand just punishment for sin and rebellion. So that leads to a problem. If we cannot work out our own salvation through works of the law, then what's our hope? We'll continue on there. But, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to re be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins it, is, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So we are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Now, what does that word mean? That's not a word you use every day in sentences, is it? What does propitiation mean? You could translate it this. He, he put Jesus forward as a, a, an appeasing sacrifice, an appeasing atonement. In other words, it's saying there that Jesus on the cross, he was a sacrifice before God. Jesus himself being completely holy and just, he, Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, came to this world and he lived a life in perfect obedience to the law, to God's law the Creator's law. He lived in perfect obedience to the will of God. Yet, Jesus went to the cross and He sacrificed Himself there on Calvary's cross as we looked at last week. He died the death of a cursed and condemned man even though He Himself did nothing wrong in His life. But there He became a propitiation for us. He received on Himself the, the wrath, the just wrath of God towards our sin. He received it on Himself. Therefore, satisfying 
God's righteous demandment for justice. So that when we come to Christ through faith, when we trust in Jesus, trust in His sacrifice, receive Him and and humble ourselves before Him, give ourselves to Him, when we receive Christ by grace through faith, then God looks at us And imagine the courtroom type scene. We come and we stand before God. Now God doesn't see our sin. Instead, He sees the righteousness of Christ. Instead of giving us the verdict of guilty, He gives us the verdict justified. Righteous. Because of Christ's righteousness put upon us by His grace, by God's grace through faith. And so that's the past tense talk. When we talk about salvation, that's the past tense uh, salvation. It's what happens when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we receive Christ. At that point, God says, Justified! He puts Christ's righteousness on us and we are justified. He no longer sees our sin. Our sin has been taken care of on Calvary's cross. It's no longer there. He sees the righteousness of Christ and we are justified. Past tense, but it has a continual result. We still, day by day, we never earn our salvation. We never have to work for for our salvation, for our justification. We are justified in Christ. Past tense, continual results. But then there is a sense where we talk about salvation in the present tense. It's something that continues to happen in a Christian's life. And here's why. It's because God doesn't just want us to to be justified. He wants us to truly be holy. He wants us to be pleasing in His sight. He wants us to be like Christ because that's what He created us to be. He created us to be holy. We refused that when we sinned against Him and rebelled against Him. But God wants us to be what He created us to be. He wants us to be holy. And so in this life, as we we come to faith in Christ, then we have God working in us to give us personal holiness. That's what we're talking about in sanctification. It's personal holiness. It's that process in which God works in our lives in this life to make us like Christ, to make us holy. Look over there in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Looking in verses 19 19 through 23. Here he says, I'm speaking to you in human terms because of your natural limitations. For, and this is where I really want you to look. For, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now... Present your members to, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification, leading to holiness. 
For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free, there's that word again, that you have been set free, past tense, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God wants us to be holy. He wants us to be sanctified, to be like Christ. He doesn't just want to save us, you know. He doesn't just want to redeem us from hell. He wants us to be what He has created us to be. He wants us to be holy. And so, He is working in us to make us holy. He is looking at personal Holiness, sanctification. So that's past tense, present tense. Now, future tense, briefly. Future tense, when he talks about the future tense salvation, there's coming a time as we work through salvation in this life and God is working in us to make us holy, we know that in this life we'll never accomplish pure holiness. We're always going to be stained by sin. There will always be that, that strain of sin within us. This old body of flesh still likes to sin. So we don't accomplish personal, our, our perfect holiness here in this life, but he has this wonderful promise that one day we will be perfectly holy. And that day is when the Lord returns uh, 1 John chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are children of God now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. That is when Jesus, when He appears, we will be like Him. Will we be like Jesus because we shall see him as he is. What he's saying there is when Jesus appears, when he returns and, and these old bodies go up and are joined with Christ, at that moment, God will make us completely holy. The work will be accomplished and we will be like Jesus. Complete and our holiness. And that's what we call the doctrine of uh, glorification. Glorification. When we'll be like Jesus, perfectly like Jesus, in complete and perfect holiness. So that, those are the tenses of salvation, the process of salvation. Past tense, justification. What happens when we come to Christ by God's grace through faith. Present tense, what's going on in the Christian life in this lifetime as God is working in us and we're working towards personal holiness. And then present tense, glorification, we'll be completely made holy, body, soul, mind, everything holy 
before God because we will be like Jesus. So as Paul is talking then here about work out your salvation, what he is talking about, of course, there is that, that middle sense, the present tense, or excuse me, sanctification. Sanctification. And what he is saying here is that as we look towards sanctification, that we ought to strive for personal holiness. Work out your own salvation. Strive for, work for personal holiness. This should be a, a goal of the Christian. As followers of Christ, we're not just kind of casual, passive observers of things, but we are active in our walk with Christ. We want to be like Christ. We, we see Him. We love Him. We adore Him. He is glorious. And as we look at Him, our goal should be to be like Him. We want to be like Christ. Now think about that. As we looked at last week, we looked at the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and given Him a name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus Christ is most glorious. Who better should we look up to and strive to be? So far, so, so often in this life, we, we put ourselves on, on human models and we want to be like this person, this businessman, or, or this star, or, or this person, or this person. Don't settle so low. Let your personal aim to be Christ. Look up to Christ. See Christ and want to be like Christ. We should strive with every ounce of our being to be like Christ. Oh, it's fine to have your, your, you know, your worldly role models. Look up to dad. Look up to granddad. Especially if they're people who model Christ. Look up to mom. Look up to grandma. If they model Christ. But let your greatest ambition, your greatest striving be to be like Christ. Strive for personal holiness. Let this not be merely outward appearance, but let it be inward. Let it take effect in you. That's why Paul says here, I think, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. He's saying you need to get this as a personal thing, a personal goal in your life. Don't just put on the outward looks, the outward appearance of Christianity. And, and when I'm here and when I'm around, you, you have your little Christian face on. But then when you walk away, when I'm not there, when the pastor's not here, when, when you're not around other Christians, you kind of do your own thing. No, he says, no. Much more now, much more in my absence as it was when I was present. Much more in my absence. Let it be a personal thing. Strive for this. Strive to work out your salvation. Strive to be like Christ. 
it's a personal thing. It's a, a personal holiness that we're to work towards and strive for in our lives. But it's also, we are also to strive in the context of the church. We're to strive in the context of the local church. Don't miss that. As Paul is talking here, he, this letter is not addressed to a single person. It's addressed to a whole church. In fact, all of the pronouns here, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Both of those terms, I know in, in English we only have one word for both the plural you and the singular you, but in the Greek it's not so. In the Greek you have two different words for the plural and the, the singular you, and the word there for you in this text is plural. He's not just talking to an individual. He is talking to the church. He's saying, you church, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. We're not in the process of working out our salvation, of, of striving towards sanctification. It, it's not a lonely affair. It's not something that we do on our own. It's something that we do in the greater context of the church. That's why I tell people when, they, when, when, you, when you come to these people who say, well, I don't go to church, I have my TV pastor. No, you don't. You're never going to truly be sanctified. You're never going to reach true Christian maturity by sitting at home by yourself watching a TV preacher. Now, there's nothing wrong with the TV preachers. I like, uh, I, I like several of them myself, and I watch them or listen to them a lot myself. But you cannot grow in Christ, not fully, just watching it on TV. It's a process that takes part within the church. That's why we, we press the church. We, we, our motto is to love God and love one another. That's coming together and loving one another, encouraging one another, promoting holiness in one another. It must take place in the context of the church. You can't really learn to love and forgive like Christ loved and forgived if you're not loving and forgiving in a body of believers. We are a family. And we press one another. Encourage one another. Even hold one another accountable to grow in holiness. Therefore, church member, if you are here and you're not involved in a life group, get involved in a life group. That's where you're really going to begin to grow and blossom as a believer, as a Christian. Get in there and do life together. We're to strive for holiness. We're to strive for this sanctification in the context of the church. So we work out our salvation in the context of the church, but here's how we work it out. Here's some, some things that lead to that. First of all, we work out your salvation looking to Jesus Christ. Looking to Jesus Christ. Now, where do I get that? Well, the therefore. We've got to look at every word, right? Verse 12, therefore, my beloved. Now, anytime that you see the therefore, you've got to see what it's there for. 
And when you see, therefore, he's always referring, what he is saying now is based upon what he has said. And what has he just said? We looked at it last week. We looked at the humiliation of Christ, but then we looked at the exaltation of Christ. Therefore, therefore, God has highly exalted him, exalted Jesus Christ, and given him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my beloved, because of who Christ is, because of who He is, therefore, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. See, he's not saying, it's not for my glory, Paul's saying. It's not for me that you're working out your own salvation. It's for Him, for Christ, because of Christ, for who He is. Work out your own salvation. Look to Christ. We look to Christ look to Him, and we look to Christ in fear and trembling. Now, what does that mean with fear and trembling? Now, we might, we, we might kind of look at this and, and think that he's talking about terror there, but that's not the way he is using it in the context here. When he uses it, when, when this, this phrase here, with fear and trembling, is used in the New Testament, especially in contexts such as this, it, it doesn't have the meaning of in terror. Right? It, it doesn't mean that we work out our salvation in terror. We're afraid that He might send a lightning bolt, down, bolt from the sky down and, and hit us with it. That's not what He's talking about there. It, it's not like an abused child in terror of his father or mother. That's not what He is talking about here. What does it mean by fear and trembling? Well, instead of that, he is, it seems to carry the meaning of awe and reverence to Christ. Awe and reverence. Let me give you a couple of other examples in the New Testament. Mark 5, 33. But the woman, and this is the woman with the blood issue who reached out and touched the garment of Christ and was healed immediately. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She didn't come in terror. She came in reverence and awe for Jesus for what he had done for her. 2 Corinthians 7, 14 through 15. For whatever boast I made to, to him, that is to Titus he's talking about, his, his little sidekick, for whatever boast I had to him, to Titus, about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true, talking to the church at Corinth, and his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him, Titus, with fear and trembling. Again there, it's not in terror of what Titus might do to them. It was in reverence for this pastor whom Paul had sent to deliver a letter and give them some guidance in their walk. They, he, they didn't receive Titus with terror, but they received him with reverence 
with respect for his position. In Ephesians chapter 6, 5, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Again, the idea there is with reverence. Reverence. Obedience. So the idea then is to look to Christ, revering Christ as judge. First of all, as revering Christ, I think, as judge. As we talked about last week, when you're talking about that, when every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that is looking to the judgment, the time of judgment. At that time, there will be a separation between the church and those outside of Christ. Those in Christ and those outside of Christ. And those who are in Christ, they will bow the knee and worship and joy to Christ. But those who have spent their life rebelling against Christ, hating Christ and hating God, They'll bow the knee in submission to His judgment. And so Paul says, always have an eye towards that day, the day when Christ will return. And he's saying here, make sure you're in that first number. Make sure work in your life so that you have that assurance that you, you see God working in you. You see the fruit uh, of His salvation working in you and out of you. Make sure that when it comes to that day, look to that day. And when you look to that day, make sure you're on the right side. Make sure that you are in Christ Make your salvation and election sure. So we, we look to Christ, revering Christ as judge, but we also look to Christ, revering Christ as Lord, as Yahweh. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the name He has given Him above every name. We looked at that last week, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. But that name there is Lord, Yahweh. That is God vindicating His Son, Jesus Christ, and saying He is who He said He was. He is Lord. He is Yahweh. He is God, the second person of the Trinity. And we look to Jesus because He is Yahweh. He is Creator God. And so we look to Him. We put our aim on Him. We put our focus on Him to live for Him most glorious. You see, Christ is the greatest treasure of your life. He is the judge, and He is Yahweh. He is Lord. Is He Lord in your life? Work out your salvation looking to Jesus Christ. Work out your salvation looking to Jesus Christ and giving praise to God. And giving praise to God. Verse 13. 
for work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for or because it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Here's the, the beauty of it, right? Here's the beauty. We, we give praise to God as we work out our salvation, as we see sanctification working in us. We give praise to God and all the praise to God because it's not us. We're not doing it in our own power. We're not doing it in our own will. It's He who is working in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We must be recognizing our impotence. We must recognize our own impotence in ourselves. We can never be holy. We can never be like Christ. It's not in our nature. Our nature is wicked all the time. And if God leaves us in our natural condition, we will never see Christ for who He is. We will never humble ourselves before His throne of grace. We'll never strive for holiness. We might strive for outward appearances, but we'll never strive for pure, true holiness. It's not in our power. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. Only God makes us alive. We need to recognize our own impotence and and we give praise to God by recognizing His omnipotence. His omnipotence. His all-powerful power. God is all-powerful. What we cannot do, what we are unable to do, He is fully able to do. We cannot live for Christ. We cannot make ourselves holy. But He makes us holy. Let me flip back over here to Romans chapter 6 again. Let me just read that once again. Romans chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. 17 through 19. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, unable to save yourself, you were slaves to sin, have become obedience obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking now in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. We are unable to save ourselves. We are unable to work out our own salvation and our own power. But God is able. He frees us from the bondage of sin so that we might live like Christ 
It is God who gives us the desire. For it is God who works in you both to will, to have the desire. In ourselves, we don't even have the desire to be holy. We don't have the desire to be like Christ. We don't want that. We want our own thing. We want to live our own life. We want to be Lord of our own life. We're just doing our own thing. It's, it's, I, want, I want to live for me. Please me. Please me. Please me. But when Christ comes into our life and God moves in to our hearts, He changes our desire so that, that all that stuff that we used to love and hunger for becomes dirty to us. Less and less appealing. Until one day it gets just, it makes us nauseous. God changes our desires so that the things of this world, the sinful things of this world, become less appealing and He becomes all appealing. He changes our desires so that we might will to do His good pleasure. And He changes our desires to give us the ability. He, God gives us the ability both to will and to work for His good pleasure. As we just read there in Romans, we were slaves to sin, but God has brought us out of that and made us slaves to righteousness. He has given us the ability to refuse sin, to run away from sin, to turn to Christ and, and live for Christ. He has given us the ability. Dear friend, if you are more holy today than you were when you first came to Christ, it's not because of what you did. It's because of what God did in you. He gave you the will, the desire, and the ability to chase after Christ and be more like Him. In fact, Scripture assures us that the work of God is such that if we have made a profession of faith at one time in our lives, and we've gone all of this time, and we find ourselves looking back at that day and never seeing a bit of change, dear friend, if you don't see any change in your life, God's not in you. You see, it's one thing to have a, a knowledge of godly things and say, uh-huh, to the right questions. But it's another thing to have God in you. Working in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Scripture tells us that as we go in life, it's not an instant thing. It doesn't happen in a moment. But Scripture does tell us, it promises us this. As God works in us over the course of our life in Christ, we will become more like Christ. Some far greater, more than others. Some move at a faster pace than others. It's not a thing that you can measure. But if you are looking at that day that you, you made a profession and now you're, you're 10, 20 years out and nothing has really changed in your life other than maybe you've been baptized in a baptistry, if nothing else has changed in your life, inspect your life. 
Because Scripture says God is working in you. If you are in Christ, God is working in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Make sure you know where you stand with Christ. Make sure you know that God is in your life working in you. If not, fall on your face before God. Receive Christ. Now, we give praise to God recognizing our own impotence, recognizing uh, God's omnipotence, His power. But now understand that this is not an exhortation just to let go and let God. And that's not what he is saying here at all. What Paul is saying does not at all remove human responsibility. In fact, he wants, he, he's drawing our attention to human responsibility. We are still to strive. As followers of Christ, we're to strive to be like Christ. As one commentator puts it, we are not puppets on God's strings. We are fully responsible humans being obligate, uh, human beings obligated to continue to work out our salvation. God's total sovereignty is the air we breathe and the ground we walk on to fulfill our human responsibility to work. God's indicative, that statement, God works, makes it possible to fulfill the imperative given to us to work. Without God's prior work directing and empowering our work, all our work is meaningless and in vain. All human effort is in vain unless it is energized by God. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. We are not to neglect, never ever to neglect our responsibility to work out our own salvation, to day in and day out crucify this old body of flesh, to mortify the flesh, to determine every day when we get up out of bed, determine I'm going to live for Christ. We're never to... We're never to neglect our responsibility to work out our own salvation, to strive for personal holiness. But as we work it out, we give God all the glory knowing that without Him, without His gracious work in us, it would never be possible. What a blessed assurance we have as we see God working in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So dear friend, today, strive for personal holiness. Strive for sanctification. Keeping your eyes on the glorious Savior. And always giving praise to God. Christian, rejoice in God's sanctifying work by working to be sanctified. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you, Father, for your glorious word today and the work that you do in us who believe. Father, it is by your grace as a gift through faith that we believe and trust in Christ and are saved. And it's by your work, by your grace as a gift that you work out salvation in us giving us the ability, giving us the will, even as we work to be like Christ. Father, thank You. Thank You. We rejoice in what You do in us. May You receive glory and honor forever for Your salvation. Oh, Father, there are those today who don't know the joy of your salvation. Maybe it's one who's never heard the gospel, but today you've pricked their heart and opened their heart, Lord. Let the light of Christ shine into them, change them, transform them, justify them, and save them. Or perhaps there's those who have made a profession some time ago, but they've never seen any sanctifying work in their life. Then give them the humility today, Lord, to fall upon Your throne of grace and surrender their lives to Christ today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.